When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're almost out of center backs. Gerard Piquet and Thomas Vermeulen are both injured. Samuel Umtiti had to miss a match with a suspension, so Luca Dina stepped in to help out. And the league is not as tough on racism as it claims to be. Barca B saw the end of their best winning streak of the year, and FCB Femini bulldozed Santa Teresa to stay two points ahead of Atletico Madrid and on top of the Liga Femenina Iberdrola. The first team are into their fifth consecutive Copa del Rey final, and Yerimina was the shining star of an otherwise uninspired performance against Hitafe. This is Barca Talk, so let's get into it. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk, the pena for your ears. Brian Henderson here, one of your hosts, and joining me as always is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother and fellow Kool-Aids, welcome to episode 65. Brian, I've been sick AF as fuck lately, <laughs> and I'm trying to recover from that, so I don't know if you can tell by my voice, but uh, yeah, I've been, I've, oh, yeah. Been, I've been pretty sick for the last couple of days, didn't go to work. And I've been laid up here, but uh, yeah, so that's how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? Yeah, no, I'm feeling fine. You know, it's been it's been really snowy here in Buffalo. Like, it's not so bad that the walkway to my front door is already covered in snow by the time I'm done shoveling it, but it has been pretty relentless the last few days. But um, on the upside, we've been watching some of the Winter Olympics. I just learned about this kid, Red Gerard, the other day. He's a snowboarder for Team USA. First time I ever heard his name in my life was last night, and I watched a couple of his runs. And then this morning, Megan told me he won the gold in the snowboarding slope style. And it's funny how with the Olympics, you know, you can learn about someone you've never heard of before in your life, an athlete, on one day. And then the next day, you know, suddenly you have this strong, burning desire for them to win the gold. It's so weird how the Olympics works on on my emotions. I don't know. I guess... I guess maybe despite my better efforts, I'm just a sucker for nationalism. I mean, that the Olympics is great for that. You know, you root on an athlete that you've only seen once, you know, and you're you're like a snowboarding expert after this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like how every four years I remember, oh, yeah, Lindsey Vaughn, she's cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she skis, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I had a friend who was visiting this past weekend, my friend Dana, and she had a really great comment. She said for the Olympics, they should always have – an average person competing with those Olympic athletes to give you an idea of how elite these athletes are, you know? So again, you know, for the, yeah, for this snowboarding yeah. thing, you could just put a regular guy who knows how to snowboard just to give you the comparison. Because when you're watching these Olympic athletes, you're like, okay, these guys are pretty good, but how good are they? 
and they're really good. I, I have a quick story real quick. So the other – a couple weeks ago, oh, yeah. I was – I ran five kilometers at the gym. And the machine told me it was going to take between 35 and 40 minutes. So I said, okay, sounds good. And on the TV, they started showing the replay of the 5,000-meter world championship. And I said, if these guys beat me before I finished, I even had a 10-minute head start. They did the introductions, the stretching, and the start, and they beat me. And I was, I, I was just like, really? <laughs> these guys are – I mean, these guys are yeah. so elite, and it's, it's ridiculous how good these athletes are. It doesn't matter if it's snowboarding uh, 5,000 meters, these, these athletes are incredible. Yeah, I mean, just the level that they're at. But I really like that idea that, yeah, you should just put a normal person next to these these elite athletes just for scale. Exactly, especially for the track events and the swimming events. Because the swimming events, you think, oh, I can do that. But if you just put a regular person out doing, trying to do a 100-meter 1, free, uh, you know, freestyle sprint, you'll really see the difference and discrepancy of between a, a normal person and an Olympic athlete. Or even like an above-average person and an exactly. Olympic athlete. Exactly, exactly. I mean, like, I mean, in football, you know, compare the best player in MLS with the the best player in Europe, not counting Leo Messi, even then, it's you know it's a, it's a, it's fairly stark. Exactly. I mean that's it's. But I, I I understand what you're saying with the nationals nationalism sentiment because again this is like the greatest advertising for our Olympic program and how good we are at sports and it's it's a lot of fun. Like I've been watching. Uh, a couple hours, especially since I've been sick, of uh, a little biathlon actually. <laughs> oh, nice! A little little shooting. Yeah, so you've been sick, but you're you're feeling better now. Yeah, I'm feeling better, and also we have a four day weekend coming up. You know, so I can feel I can you know I feel good about that, and also uh, especially with Madrid winning last night. But I don't know if you know, but Madrid are back. Uh, with this huge PSG clash coming on Wednesday. I was just talking with my friend today. We're going to go out to the bar, especially since we have Thursday off, and we're going to watch the game, and it should be a really good match. And I'm going to be the biggest PSG fan ever on Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, I hope they knock them out. That'll be great. Well, let's get on with the show. Uh, we have a couple of news and notes to talk about. They're almost all center-back related. And the first one is about how PK and Vermalen are both injured. You know, PK took a knock on his knee in that Espanol match. And then last week, uh, well, midweek, he was playing. He played most of the cup match with Valencia with his knee wrapped up. Uh, but he was out for the Hitafe match. The reports I've seen say he won't be out too long. He was probably just missing that one game. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's funny when the news came out on Monday. I think, yeah, it was Monday where he was going to be out for a month. And then they changed it to two weeks. And then all of a sudden, he was in the Valencia squad. So I, I don't know if he had some miracle water or, or something. I don't, know, I don't know what he drank. But uh, I personally would have liked to have kept him out uh, for the Valencia game. I know he is a vital part of the defense. But I think it would have been a good opportunity for Mina, especially with Umtiti. I think they would have been fine back there. I don't – in the match uh, against Valencia, they didn't really test us as much as I thought they were going to. But again, PK is important for, especially for our Champions League run. So uh, him not playing today in the Hitafe match is important. Hopefully it's just a major knock and just with rest, it'll get cured faster and he'll be on the squad sooner than later. Yeah, we got to get him back on the squad. So you, sometimes you got to just put him on the bench or not even on the bench at all. Now also, Vermalen is out with a hamstring injury. 
of course, because he's he's Tommy V. That's what he does. Uh, he's been out since late January, but the prediction is that he will be recovered in about a week from now. So around the 15th of February. So we might see Vermeulen back in action after that. When he comes back, it'll give uh, Val Green some nice flexibility in the center back. But again, we don't need to rush him immediately. I mean, you know, we want to make sure, especially with Tommy V, we need to make sure that he's close to 100% being healthy because, again, we've noted his injury woes and his history. And it's just better with him just to get him as close to 100% because he is a serviceable center back for us. Yeah. And he's totally proven that already. So, you know, I do look forward to having him back in playing condition, but yeah, with him, you got to be a little extra careful because his injuries tend to compound one upon the other. So yeah, just make sure that he's fully, fully, absolutely fit. And then, just, you know, have give him 20 minutes in one match and see how it goes, right? I mean, that's what uh, Val Green's been doing lately. You know, he's been, especially with Mina's debut, he puts him in the second half with 20 minutes to get some playing time and just to get some more confidence that way as opposed to starting them. And so I think that's what he'll do. Um, again, he the team and Val Green has com- have confidence in Vermalen going forward. So I think that's really great just to have him for La Liga matches and um, Champions League if we need to. Yeah. Now, also in uh, center back news, uh, concerning the Getafe match especially, we're going to talk about the Getafe match in detail later on, obviously. But uh, Umtiti was on a yellow card suspension for that game. So that's why he wasn't playing against Getafe. And, you know, with all these injuries, uh, the center back stuff, it was just the center back staff was severely limited against Hitafe because of these injuries and Umtiti's yellow card suspension. Yeah. And, and again, it just goes in ebbs and flows. Right. And in December, we were a little bit better. You know, after the the Classico, we had we were almost at full strength with the center back position. And again, a couple knocks, a couple uh, suspension with Umtiti. And again, like in the Hitafe match, we had to use Digne as a center back. And so, you know. I'm confident enough, especially with our emphasis on defense, that losing, you know, PK for a match here or there is not going to ultimately kill us like in the past, just because I think Val Green just puts more emphasis on, you know, the defensive game plan and having everyone focus on their positions and making sure that they track back on defense. Yeah. And Dina turned out to be actually a very serviceable center back I, I was surprised by that we're gonna we'll talk about that in more detail when we talk about the match but just a, a quick note on that what did you what did you think of Dina as center back in that match yeah I mean like I put in the notes there do we find our new Mascherano because I think he <laughs> since he had more people around him he didn't feel exposed whereas he was on the left wing sometimes I think he feels he has to do a lot of one-on-one and I think it suited him really well because he was able to well he was able to read the attacks better and when he got the ball he made the good passes and he wasn't you know he he paired well with Mina today so maybe that's something in the future that we can use because today he had a, a really good quality match he wasn't he didn't leave Ter Stegen too often with one-on-one opportunities. Um, you know, you would think maybe that in the air he was a liability, but with Mina there, it covered that up. So maybe Digna has a future as a center back. Uh, you know, who knows? Yeah, maybe more than left back. But uh, speaking of Umtiti, uh, last week at the end of the Espanol match, there was this uh, this situation that I wanted to talk about. And this is one of those things where I really rely on your you know boots on the ground in Madrid perspective on things. So last week at, at the end of the Espanol match, um, where actually PK during the match was at the center of pretty much every 
contentious situation or controversial event in the match, suddenly after the final whistle had blown, Umtiti was riled up and PK had to come in and hold him back. And I didn't say anything about it last week because I noticed the scuffle, but I didn't know anything about it or you know what was going on. And then reports came out on Monday that Sergio Garcia, the Espanol forward, called Umtiti, apparently called Umtiti a racial slur. And uh, then Garcia went on social media, said that he had talked to Monsieur Umtiti, that he had no racist intent, and uh, I guess he was implying that they had uh, come to an understanding and what was said on the pitch, whatever it was, has been left on the pitch. Yeah, and you know, lately, this isn't the first time this has happened in La Liga this year. Uh, a lot of the players have used this phrase, you know, what happens on the pitch stays on the pitch as a protection. I don't like it at all. I think it's such a cowardly uh, excuse. You know, yeah, you know, you're 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 in a battle, you're fighting in a sport, but again, it's not life or death, right? And to dig deep and use racial slurs as kind of like to use racial slurs as your comeback to a player. If a player, you know, puts a move on you or so forth, I mean, that really calls on you, right? So, again, Garcia went on his social media and he's like he said, I have so many black friends. My wife is African, dot, 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 right? And so automatically that just absolves them of the racial slur. I mean, it's... it's Well, plus, that's also something that people say all the time to try and get out of any culpability for, you know, saying screwed up things. Yeah, and, you know, here there's a big problem with that because La Liga says, obviously, no, no to racism, but they don't do any action towards it. So, for example, Garcia should have been suspended four games. If he gets suspended four games, that's a huge deal. And going forward, that's going to put a, a strong statement to players going forward to not use racial slurs. Again, there was another incident with Real Betis that happened, and the player used the same protection. Whatever happens on the pitch stays on the pitch. This is this is so cowardly. I mean, if La Liga was really against racism, you know, as they say, they have to make these really strong effort to suspend players and actually take money away from them because if they do that then the players are going to learn the only way the players are going to learn is if you take their money and they don't play for a significant amount of games yeah or if you uh you know somehow instill fear into them or make them <laughs> the three motivators in life are money food and fear right? exactly and <laughs> here in la liga it's money right it's it's money because they know they know that Tebas isn't really going to do anything and especially in this incident with Espanol you know Tebas was looking at or actually the Spanish FA was looking at um sanctioning PK for his gesture and what he did to the crowd as opposed to the racial incident that happened to Titi so again it's about getting your your priorities straight and La Liga and the Spanish FA have to come with a more significant punishment with these racist comments to players in the, in the league. Yeah. It, you know, you got to do more than just have a banner that says, say no. It's like, if you say, Gabriel, if you say something racist to me and you call me a racial slur, you know, for my whiteness or whatever. And I just say, Hey, you know what? No, that's not going to fix. <laughs> yeah. Anything. But you know what happens on the podcast is left on the podcast. Right. So that's that. I mean, right? it's, <laughs> I mean, this is the podcast, you know. It's, 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 yeah, this is the I mean, this is right it's such a it's such a lame phrase, and a lot of players have used it in the past, and you know, especially with the microphones on the field, they can read lips and they can detect what the players are saying. And Garcia definitely said a racial slur, and you know, obviously he apologized right after. But again, the league or the Spanish FA, 
because um, this Espanol match was a league match, right? If I remember correctly, like last week was La Liga. Yeah, so the the league yeah. needs to make. Yeah, there were so many Espanol matches; it's hard to keep track. But that was, yeah, it was the league match. Yeah, so La Liga needs to make a significant stamp on it. You know, these are opportunities that they can use. You know, this happened to um, Williams from Athletic Bilbao too, where he was abused against. This happened to Danny Alves a couple of years ago when he was on Barcelona. He was abused where they threw a banana at him. I mean, are you like you know? Yeah. And these are things where the league needs to make significant moves to combat that because here in Spain for example it's very blase you know they just say these racial slurs and it's like ah it doesn't really mean anything you know and it's just kind of when I when I hear it in the streets and so forth it, it throws me back because you know if you're in the states or anywhere in the world and you say that you probably get punched in the face and here it's just kind of an insult you know like a, it's almost like an insult for your mom kind of a kind of a thing and people just use these racial slurs and it's very blase it's 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 troubling it's troubling but at the same time if la liga puts a stamp on it that's going to trickle down into you know the language of the way people use it because then they'll realize oh it's a bad thing to say that well yeah i mean like and that's the whole thing with any kind of you know dominant part of a culture or dominant you know uh sub section of a culture i okay i don't want to get too I don't want to take too much time on the show for this, but let's just do it. <laughs> let's just take a minute, right? You know, in any part of a dominant culture, it's always the people in dominance or the people in authority who have the power who need to lead. And if the, you know, if there aren't any consequences and there aren't any, if there aren't any real leaders who are actually taking substantial action to affect some kind of a change in the culture, then all of that colonialism and just like imperial dominance nonsense, it's, you know, it's just going to continue. Yeah, it's a good point. And I mean, we're going to talk about this as well. But again, the leadership in the Spanish FA and La Liga is a joke. And so we're asking, you know, quote unquote, smart people, quote unquote, you know, people who are visionaries to make these decisions, but they're not. And again, it's just reinventing this wheel type of thing. You know, they're just the Madrid press as of, you know, maybe Thursday or Friday, they focus on the games that are coming up. It just gets scooted under, you know, because it's news for that day and they move on to other news. And again, it should be a bigger deal. And especially if uh, the Spanish, you know, La Liga president, you know, suspended Garcia, let's say for five games and took his pay for those five games, that would be a huge statement. You know, no one would use racial slurs anymore because that's the precedent. Yeah, exactly. So, again, I, like I said, I don't want to – I totally agree with everything you just said. I think that our, our position is clear. <laughs> Let's go ahead and, and move on. Sounds good. Now, uh, we do – normally every week we have a community segment and um, where we, you know, read, read your messages and discuss uh, any topics that you want us to discuss. We don't have anything from the Barca Talk community this week, we didn't get any messages, but I can tell you that I just yesterday recorded an interview with the president of Club Club Blaugrana de Montreal, Michael Miller, yesterday. We had a good talk. I learned about Michael and his Pena, and uh, we laughed. We didn't cry, so that's a win for me. And you can hear that interview uh, next week. Cool. I mean, I'm really looking forward to hearing about uh, Michael's uh, experience and how he became a Kool-Aid, as we talked about uh 
this interview before. You know, I'm always curious to find out how, especially people outside of Spain, become Kule. So I'm I'm interested to hear the interview, and I'm glad you didn't cry. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's it's a I wouldn't call it a problem, but I uh, you know I've been really teary lately. I've been crying at just like sweet things. Like I'm I don't know maybe I'm hormonal on some level, but like I've been crying at like Parks and Recreation old episodes of Parks and mm. Recreation. But anyway, yeah, it's fun. It's funny you haven't even heard the interview yet, but uh, yeah, it's it's a really fun interview and his, his sort of origin story as a Barca fan is a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that next week. Also, for all of those Peñas out there, official or otherwise, reach out to us. If you have any announcements, big events coming up, uh, if you're looking for membership, anything like that, get in touch and we'll, you know, we'll try to help get the word out. We'll talk about it on the show. All right, let's talk about some football, though. Um, starting with the uh, the young lads, let's start with Barca B. So what happened with Barca B this last week, Gabriel? They lost to Alcorcón, and they lost 1-0. They had their three-match winning streak snapped, so unfortunately they weren't able to move up. But again, they're in 16th place, so they're in good position right now. And I think just the way they've been playing lately, I think – like we talked about, maybe the second time go around, they're getting more confidence. And, you know, we'll see what happens next week. But that, unfortunately, they lost one nothing. I wasn't able to see any of the highlights. But it looked like I actually thought the match was going to here in Madrid. So I was debating whether to go to this match, depending on how I was feeling yesterday. But uh, when I when I double checked the schedule, I was they were playing that in Barcelona. So it's a little bit far away from me. Yeah, especially when you're not feeling well. But also, you know, three wins in a row for them. That's really good for this year. Yeah, and that was their best winning streak so far. And the other thing too is, you know, that jumped them all the way up to 13th place. And so that gives them a little bit of wiggle room. And again, our goal is just to stay in the Segunda. And I think they're well on their way. So hopefully we'll see what happens in the next three matches because – Again, um, I think they were riding high with confidence and, you know, this kind of set them back a little bit. But again, one nothing isn't the worst loss ever. Again, I didn't see the highlights. So unfortunately, I couldn't really see what happened or the goal. We know that they're playing against the big boys here, men. And maybe it's just one of those, you know, it's cold here in, in Spain. So maybe it was just a cold match and they just didn't feel like it. Did they have a four o'clock match kickoff? We don't know. We know <laughs> we probably could find out, but I, I mean, I think that it's sort of a moot point at this at this juncture. <laughs> but next up for them, they're going to be playing Lugo next Sunday. I know, I, I know, I said that with a beautiful Spanish accent, Lugo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they're going to be up in the northwest. Um, Lugo are in eighth place in the Segunda, but unlike a lot of teams in that division, they've never been in the first division. They're just they're a small club from what I assume is a small town, uh, but they're doing a lot better than Barca B in the league. Um, so I guess they're what you might call sort of a, a mature second division team. You know, they've never been promoted to the Primera, but in second division terms, they're kind of a solid mid table team. Yeah, and that's you know Lugo is in the northwest. It's in uh, I believe it's in Galicia. So again, this is the the typical rainy type match that could happen, um, which may not suit Barca B's. Uh, talent in that you know we want to play on the ground and have good passing this may be another kickball extravaganza for Barca B yeah well good luck to them on that (laughs) now what about the women our stars our star women this I did watch I watched this match because I had in the background and obviously I was sick and again my Movistar package is incredible I get all these matches now so why not watch the feminine and I did um, it was a really good match. You know, the women, of course, dominated the the women of Santa Teresa. Again, I guess I didn't realize how f- physical Martins is. 
Because, you know, when I see pictures of her, she just looks like, you know, she's normal woman. You know, she's not overly super tall. Um, I don't know. She just doesn't strike me as a physical presence. But when I was watching this match, wow, she bullies people off the ball. Uh, the way she anticipates the runs and the, where the ball is going to be faster than defenders is, is like a sixth sense for her. And also just the passing she does is incredible. And again, Santa Teresa, this really highlighted how extremely talented Martins is, but, uh, let's, let's go through some of the goals. So the star of the, of the, of the day was La Torre. She had two goals, one in the 32nd minute, one in the 82nd minute in the first goal. Uh, it was just a cutback goal, um, really nice little goal from from Latore. The second goal I saw, um, this was a really cool play. It was a free kick play. I love these when teams come up with creative free kicks, and they basically uh, they squared it out to the right side, and uh, Butellas had an opportunity to square the ball like a, as a cross, but she got blocked. But she followed her own ball and she kicked it into the open net basically hit the post and it went into the goal. So really nice little play. And against the third goal, if you get a chance to watch this, you can really see Martin's physicality. She outmuscles the girl down the flank. She just gives a nice square ball and Latour comes screaming through the center, almost kind of a carbon copy of the first goal. Uh, the women just rolled, but unfortunately, Atletico Madrid won. So both those teams now are with 50 points at the top of the table. Wow. So so that that match was was three nothing against Santa Teresa. That is correct. And I mean, okay. th- it could have been again, it could have been more. But it's one of those things where the women just they just possess the ball. Once they know the game's in hand, it's, they just possess it and they just milk the clock. They had some other opportunities. But again, it's just them when they, you know, when they're trying to go for goal, it's just, you know, margin of error and so forth but i mean again the women just dominated santa Teresa. i think they at one point they had possession of 80 to 20 so that just tells wow. you how good they were just rolling and again these three goals were really some nice goals so the women again keep on rolling again another shutout it's just going to that that march game against atletico madrid yeah it's coming it's coming around the bend and you know the, the thing about martins is not only does she have this you know this physical presence because you know like you were saying, she she doesn't look necessarily like she'd be, you know, imposing physically. But you know, it's all about that lean muscle mass, man. You know, you know about this. I am, I am a twelve percent body fat. You know that, right? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> <Nice>. kidding. <laughs> but but she's also fast, and she's got that great vision. And when she's on the ball, especially when she's coming down either flank, really. But I think she's a little bit stronger on the left. You, it's hard to stay on her and tackle her. She just keeps the ball so close to her feet that if you try to tackle her, you're liable to foul her. Yeah, a couple times when I was watching, she just shouldered people off. Almost like Suarez does, where they came in to try to take her out, but she just took the you know took the slide and was still able to stay on her feet, and that's a really impressive skill to have. And her with Dugan and Latour, they just have a really nice combination chemistry going on. And I mean, again, this game could have been seven nothing. And when I was watching the game, my friend, because my friend Dana was visiting here from Ireland, she was saying, um, "Are they playing this game at a park or something?" Because there was nobody at this match. There was nobody at this match. It looked like they were playing at a YMCA, unfortunately. 
because there was no support. You could barely, you could really hear the women talking, which was kind of cool. You can hear them talking in the field, right. but again, um, you know, in these, uh, I think this was played in the Santa Teresa club. So again, there's not that much support for the team. You know, this is still early in this Liga Iberdola campaign. So hopefully in the next coming years, they'll get some more support and just bring some more girls out there to get them to get fired up to play football. Seriously, just like, you know, get get the girls from the local school out or something, you know? Well, let me just give you how, you know, how behind they are with women's soccer is for example i had one of my fifth graders she came up to me and she had a soccer ball and i was like oh you like football she's like i love football but there's no team in my neighborhood to play and i said really there's no she said i would have to play with the boys and i go that's not that's not fair especially here at the level the boys is so much advanced they wouldn't give her a chance and she said well my mom is trying to put a team together with some other girls in the neighborhood i said that's awesome you know, when they start seeing this on TV, they'll be able to hopefully have some more teams that develop and they'll see that there's a market for women to play. And hopefully that'll help get more popularity with this women's league. You should uh, you should try to help them out if you can. Is there anything you could do to help them get that get that league going in that neighborhood? I can give them 100 percent moral support. <laughs> <laughs> You're so generous. You have so much, so much to give. <laughs> so what's next for the uh, the Femini? What's the next match? Yeah, so the Femini play against Athletic Club Bilbao on Sunday, February 18th, 1 o'clock local time at the Minia Study. So that game, again, is going to be on my Goal TV, so I, I will probably check it out. Yeah, and if you're in Barcelona on February 18th at 1300 local time, go see the women play. Go watch Martins tear it up. Okay, now I want to say that we here, Gabriel and I, we appreciate the the financial support that we've been getting for the show. It is not a large amount at this point, but all amounts are welcome. And those donations that we have received, they've gone towards revamping our website, which I highly recommend you check out because it looks way better than it used to. It's uh, more functional. Barsatalk.net. And also those donations have allowed us to start promoting the show more, which is good, uh, you know, because hopefully we want to move towards getting, uh, you know, real advertisers and all that sort of stuff uh, so that we're not just asking for donations. And hopefully we can just stop asking for donations at a certain point. But so for those of you who have donated, again, thanks a lot. And if you haven't and you want to help support this show, just go to barsatalk.net and click on the support tab. Right now, you can only do it if you have a PayPal account, but we figure lots of people have PayPal, so you know, hopefully we're not causing too many people too many problems. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter, which is a new thing we're going to start doing. Nothing too annoying, just an email once a month or so. You can sign up for that at the bottom of pretty much any page on the website. Nearly, if not all pages on the website have a newsletter sign-up form. Or if you just want to tell us something, drop us a line. Uh, I'm really into the new website. I want people to go there, so... You can use the contact tab there, but of course, we're always open to getting messages on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, a little less than we used to. But, you know, it's still out there as an option. All right, so let's talk about Copa del Rey. Uh, now, overall, on the other side of things, we've got Sevilla and Leganes. They beat out Leganes 3-1 to one on aggregate, so it's going to be Sevilla and Barcelona in the final on April 21st. Uh, so let's talk about that. Just the final to begin with, April twenty first. What's there's because there's always a story around the Copa del Rey final, the venue, the date, and all this nonsense. Well, last time I checked, you know they don't have the stadium yet, and again, this happens every 
year. It's such a joke. And when I was writing up the document, I started writing La Liga, La Liga, and I was really and then I realized, hold on. La Liga is not in charge of Copa del Rey. It's the Spanish FA. So again, this is the Spanish FA that's in charge of this. Okay, so every year here, we don't know where the stadium is going to be, you know, and everyone wants to play in Madrid because it's the most central place. And of course, people want to play in the Bernabeu because not only is it a whole lot of people, but it's just more mythical, right? But of course, Florentino Perez doesn't want that to happen because he doesn't want the possibility of Barcelona celebrating a title on the Bernabeu. That is like super petty. Right, because he's going to get money off of this. I mean, I don't understand why he can't do this. But anyway, <laughs> what I what I propose that the Spanish FA do, I mean, they just they should just do like the Super Bowl. They're missing out a huge, huge opportunity on tourism of people going to the city, people knowing on the specific date. They need to always have the specific date. Now, I personally think it should align with the FA Cup. I think it's after Champions League, the weekend after Champions League. And so there's no interference with, for example, April 21st interferes, which possibly could be our Champions League semi run. And that is a huge deal because obviously we're going to put more emphasis if we're still, hopefully we are still in the running with the semifinal. We're going to put more emphasis on that. They should just do a rotation like they do the Super Bowl, but they should only do it within these stadiums that I selected. The Samamez and Bilbao. <laughs> The Camp Nou in Barcelona, Mestalla in Valencia, the Bernabeu in Madrid, the Wanda in Madrid, the Santos Pijuan in Sevilla, and the Benito Villamarín in Sevilla. I think those are all the biggest stadiums that we have here in Spain. And it also gives a, a mixture of, of, you know, you can go north, south, center, and the Mediterranean coast. Now, if they just do it like the Super Bowl, you know in advance, then – you know, random fans can go. They know they're going to check out the Copa del Rey final. And I think it will just have a boost. And if you know that your stadium is hosting it, you have no choice. You cannot back out. You know, there was a lot of funny memes on the online where it says, as soon as uh, Barcelona won, the you know, to advance the Copa del Rey final, that he's already trying to look for concerts to book around April 21st so that they don't have to host the Copa del Rey final. But again, <laughs> you know, this is this is such a joke. You know, they talk about this every year and, you know, they're missing – again, the Spanish FA is missing out a huge opportunity to cash in on this, you know, this Super Bowl idea of having these revolving stadiums, a set place always a year before. So what do you think of my idea? I like it in principle. I, there is one little problem or wrinkle that I anticipate. What if it's supposed to be the year that they have it at the Camp Nou and Barcelona gets to the final? Doesn't that negate the Super Bowl idea where it's supposed to be in a neutral location? That that happens, you know. Uh, you know, no, but like in the Super Bowl, every every like for example, this year the Super Bowl was in Minnesota. And Minnesota was gunning to try to go to the Super Bowl. And if they go to the Super Bowl, they'll have home field. But the thing is, yeah, they'll know the pitch. But again, the tickets are divided equally between the two teams. So yeah, a, this would happen. But at least you would know in advance and they're going to try to go for it. But there's nothing you can do with change. Because then if you do this rotation, let's say you start in the San Mez, then the following years at Camp No, then the Camp No won't host for another six years. And that's really cool. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, I'm okay with that, especially if you split up the tickets so that it won't just be all coulées and like, you know, just one small run of stands up at the top for the opposing team's fans. If you split it equally, I'm then I'm I'm on board with it. Let's do it. Thank you. Again, I should <laughs> run for Spanish FA president and La Liga president. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. 
run for president of the, the RFF. <laughs> That's how you pronounce yes, that, yes, right? It's yes. RFF. <laughs> but so anyway, let's talk about this actual match, the uh, the second leg semifinal against Valencia in the Mestalla. They were already up uh, one nothing going into this. In this match, they won two nothing for a three zero aggregate win. So overall, that's you know that's very good. Uh, first half, the general summary: uh, Barcelona were you know up a goal going into this game, but they knew that Valencia would come at them hard when when they got the ball. And Marcelino said ahead of the match that he knew they wouldn't have the possession. So, of course, you could have expected them to try to make a strong play when they did get the ball. And they did not disappoint. Uh, But just like they have all season, our defense weathered that storm and they kept the sheet clean. This is all correct. That's a good synopsis right there because, uh, you know, Marcelino loves to press. But again... Since uh, Gonzalo Guedes didn't start, I thought that was to our advantage because he is the engine that drives their attack. I think when he's in their their lineup, he makes them a, a, a much more dangerous team. And Valencia started with a 4-3-3 to try to mix it up against Barcelona. But again, like you noted, Barcelona had more possession and a little bit more of the attacking opportunities. Yeah, and you know, especially in that first half, Valencia were also really keeping it physical, You know, committing some pretty bad fouls, picking up yellow cards, giving away free kicks, all that kind of stuff. That's how I would play against Barcelona. I would tell my team to be as physical as possible without getting cards just to try to no because quote you know Barcelona's quote unquote as you would say from an outsider a finesse <laughs> team right that's how we would yeah, I, yeah. How, I would define them but you know where they're not right and they can weather this physicality but again if i was the valencia coach i would do the same thing and that's what happened you know they were towing the line of getting cards especially a couple times with uh, grabbing Messi and just the fouls all over they were giving. You know, I honestly thought that Valencia was going to come harder at us than they did in the first 20 minutes, and they didn't really. And when they didn't, I I just I felt very comfortable that we were going to be able to pull off a victory here. Yeah, well, let's review the lineup. So we had Silicon in goal, of course, back four of Sergi, Piquet, Umtiti, and Alba, top-notch. Midfield, Busquets, Rakitic, Mr. Personality, Andre Gomes, Iniesta, and then Messi, Suarez up top. What were your thoughts on the lineup? Uh, you, you already know where I'm going to go with this. I mean, go. Uh, go oh, yeah. I, oh, mean, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to set you up, man. <laughs> I mean, Gomes. Is this guy's – I mean, this guy must be the most incredible practice player of all time because how does he continue to get starts? And you – you cannot tell me that he's better than Denny Suarez. I mean, I'd rather have Denny Suarez. He, oh my gosh, serenity, serenity <laughs> now. Uh, Gomes, Gomes <laughs> just kills me every time. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. I, if he was, you know, if he was winning the ball, like if he was an exceptional defender, just winning the ball back, then I would say, okay, Gomes gets the ball back for us, but he doesn't make good passes. But however, he has a really unique skill set that he can get this ball back almost like Conte right from Chelsea but Gomes doesn't do that so for me I would rather just had Vidal in there I mean I would have felt better with Vidal at least Vidal would have been more attacking I mean I remember at one play I have here in minute 20 where Gomes was wide open to make a solid cross and he just skies it over and the the camera pans to Val Green and he just he hits his head on the he hits his hand on his head right and that's exactly what every Kool-Aid was thinking because he either must have nude pictures of Val Green or he must be the greatest 
practice player we've ever seen because I still don't understand how this man still gets starts in the starting 11. He's had way too many opportunities and he just does not do anything. Yeah, I think that hand to the head, the the audio that would have gone along with it is something like this guy <laughs> this guy why does he keep he keeps pulling me back in <laughs> i mean it's like a dysfunctional relationship there's yeah. something about gomes he's like a bad boyfriend you know? yeah maybe i don't know you get lost in his eyes he's like val green i'm starting today and he's just yeah you are starting today you know it's kind of like <laughs> these aren't the droids we're looking for kind of a thing maybe i don't know yeah. i don't know if he has jedi mind trick i don't know but on the field for example, when he does the pass back, it always looks awkward. He can't take anyone one-on-one. His crosses are horrible. On defense, he's there. Great. I mean, he doesn't win the ball back. He's literally just a human in the starting 11. You know, he's just a guy. Please, Val yeah. Green, do not start him anymore. He does nothing. <laughs> okay. But maybe he knows hypnosis. But there's no way he's a Jedi. If he were a Jedi, he'd be a much better footballer. All right, so but let's talk about some other some other plays. Right in the eighth minute, there was this beautiful play where Messi was fouled, driving into the box, surrounded by three players. And it came off of this masterful pass from Busquets. And out of that came this free kick, which was brilliant on target. But Dominic punched it away. And I thought Dominic actually, despite getting scored on twice, was a, had a really good game, and he's a solid goalkeeper. Yeah, he did have a good game. And again, Busquets was so good in this game. Again, he is – the way he wins the ball and then makes those passes to go forward is something that is so unique that no other footballer really does in his position. And again, on this play, gave Messi an opportunity for a free kick. Unfortunately, it didn't – I mean, it, went, it was on target, but it wasn't good enough, and Dominic punched it away. Yeah, and – there, I mean, there were some other plays that I really liked uh, in 14th minute. Valencia were on the attack. Gaia to Rodrigo. I didn't exactly like this because it was so threatening, but, you know, they, they had this good opportunity. Uh, they almost got a goal, actually, uh, with this really good header, but it just came off the crossbar from Rodrigo. Yes. Were, were you were you did you have your heart in your throat at that moment? Uh, not really, because. You know, the fact that Valencia didn't score an away goal gave us a significant advantage. And I know the margin was really close, but I just know our defense this whole year. I mean, we have such a huge sample size that our defense will hold up. And I knew if they did score, all we needed was one goal and we would go forward. And I knew, you know, I could, I could see the way the, the match was shaping up. And again, Rodrigo scares me. I think he's a really good striker. I think he's fearless. But in this match, he was a little bit knocked up. So he wasn't 100%. But again, on this play, he hit, hit the crossbar. And, you know, fortunately for us, he did not score. Yeah. And in fact, the whole first half went by without any scoring. Uh, despite a couple of uh, other opportunities, you know, uh, 34th minute, Rodrigo actually took Messi down and gave away a free kick just outside the box. He even got a yellow card for that. And it kind of goes back to this, uh, what we were talking about, about what you would, how you would play Barcelona in this match. And, you know, when whenever you're on that edge of, you know, playing as physically as possible without getting a yellow, uh, you're going to get some yellows, but just hopefully not too many. Yeah, right? and and that's the thing is that uh, Messi was, you know, Messi was taking the ball down, you know, down the middle essentially, and Rodrigo had no choice but to follow him. Now, I have I have a quick observation because I was my friend Dana was here. We were watching the match, and I was trying to point out some things to her. 
so my biggest beef lately with Messi, and it's a really small beef, but is that he's not exploiting the right side of the field enough. So for example, in this match, they were basically double teaming him, one guy up high in the middle and one guy to his left, essentially. So Messi kept trying to go to his left. And if he only went to the right, maybe two or three times, not only would he have avoided those two guys, but he would have been in an attacking dangerous play because they were so worried for Messi cutting into the middle that he had such a void in the right. And so I want Messi to go back to using the right side just as much as the left and middle. And I know as as a left footer player, for me, my preference, and obviously his preference is to go middle with your left because it's obviously your dominant foot. But again, he and, and in today's match in Hitafe and Valencia match, he has that right corner exposed, but he's not using it enough. And I think... He just needs to get back to using that right side because I think he'll have way more opportunities and more dangerous play than he's already having when he's not being double teamed like in this Valencia match. Yeah, because I mean he used to do that more and he hasn't been doing it as much lately. So I wonder what's – I do wonder what's going on with with him in in his mental game. Well, the thing is is his role has changed, right? So before when he was in the 4-3-3, he was in that right attacking spot cutting in with the left. But now since he's in the middle as a playmaker behind Suarez, he starts middle. And so he's always usually forgetting that right side. Now he's done it a couple times here and there, but I think he just needs to use that more because if he starts to use the right side more, let's say 50, you know, 50 50 of the times that he does, now the defense doesn't know where he's going to go. But for the most part, the defense always knows he's going to try to go middle and try to always drive on the left. You saw in the Hitafe match today, and you also saw in the Valencia match. In the Valencia match, they had two guys marking him. And even though he did beat them occasionally, he's doing so much work to beat those two guys where he could just go right and avoid both those guys. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe he's uh, taking like the long game and he's trying to get to, you know, those last few bits, like, try to take all the way to the champions league semis or the final before he cuts to the right. No one will see it coming because he's been going to the left all season. long. I mean, maybe it could be right, but you know, it's just, I mean, (laughs) he touches the ball so much that if he just did it maybe three more times, I think he would be able to get even more dangerous plays than he already does. I mean, these are just quick little things that I'm seeing, but again, you know, like in the first half, you know, we were fine. We They had some scoring opportunities, but they didn't score. Our defense against was focused. PK, you know, playing out of his mind, playing hurt. And he was all over the ground. And you could see it was hurting him. His knee was hurting him. But he was able to hold the fort down with Umtiti. Yeah, they both were. All right, now let's talk about Val Green for a second because, you know, the mark of any good professional is the ability to adjust um, either to your opponent or to your own decisions, the outcomes of your own decisions. So at the beginning of the second half, first thing, Coutinho in for Gomes. So here's the question. A great substitution or the greatest substitution Valverde has ever made? A great substitution, right? I mean, but uh, yeah, but the thing is, (laughs) this is what he should have done in the beginning. He should have started Coutinho because as soon as Coutinho came into the match, having him on the right side all of a sudden, as opposed to Gomes, the defender was on had to be made aware that it's Coutinho, a person who could take him one-on-one and also drive to that right side. And that's exactly what he did. When he got the ball, he was driving down that right side. So all of a sudden now that spreads open the attack for Barcelona, there's more holes. And of course, he scored his first goal, which was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, in less than five minutes. 
49th minute, Coutinho, goal. He opens up his account and immediately sort of shows Valverde how he went wrong. And But it was such a great play. You know, Suarez fading in, cutting out, and then crosses. Coutinho diving in from a really tight angle and got it in at the far post. I mean, it was a great Yeah, game. I mean, it all started with Suarez. It was a really nice move for him to create that space. But again, it was also Coutinho recognizing to continue his run on the right side to wait for that ball. Because if he cuts in the middle, he misses that ball. But again, you know, I've watched and I've heard other podcasts and other shows saying that Coutinho cannot play on the right side. And I, I think that's I think that's BS. I just think that obviously in Liverpool, he was such a set piece on the left side, right? So they're just going to always play it. And I think the way Val Green has utilized him playing up high, playing on the left side, playing on the right side, I think Coutinho is a good enough player where he can adapt to all these different positions. And again, you can see this is the third time he's playing on the right side and he scored a goal because he knew his discipline and where to make that run. And Suarez found him on a really nice goal. Yeah. And then, of course, on the other, another substitution uh, in the 65th minute, Pauly came on for Iniesta. And remember, this match is happening in Valencia. And no matter what, no matter where he goes, as he's walking off the pitch, Iniesta gets applause. What must it be like to be Iniesta walking around Spain? You know, I mean, he's like the godfather. He's Manchego, man. He is the best. <laughs> I mean, he who doesn't love Manchego cheese, right? So I love Manchego yeah, cheese. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's the best because, you know, he is definitely uh, immortalized because he won that World Cup. And so, you know, in that moment, he brought Spain together for those seven days, essentially. Uh, there was no separatist party. Everyone was pro-Spain, and they won the World Cup, and Iniesta was the man who scored that goal. So wherever he goes, free drinks, standing ovation, <laughs> it's the best for him. Yeah, I mean, I do think that there were – just not to be a wet blanket, but I do think <laughs> that some people, even during those seven days, were still you know pro-separatism and all that sort of stuff. But I get what you're what you're trying to say, which is just that – in that moment, Iniesta became a hero for everyone. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And, of course, you know, in this match where Valencia has everything to play for, this is their only, you know, uh, trophy that they can really get. And they're giving Iniesta a standing ovation. So it's just incredible. Yeah. So at least, you know, a little bit of class from the people of Valencia. A wonderful place. Now, there was also that uh, that near goal for Guedes. And, you know, I hadn't been paying as much attention to Guedes as you had. And I finally saw it. You know, this guy is a serious threat. Yeah, and lately he's been injured. So that's why he hasn't played against Barcelona the last, you know, these last two legs. But in the first match against Barcelona, you can just see he's – when he plays in the middle, he's the motor that drives their attack with Rodrigo and Parejo. So he's a really dangerous player. And when he came in – I was a little bit worried, but again, since we scored that away goal, they had to score, you know, two or three. So I thought we were going to be okay going forward. And once Valencia was hunting for that goal, I knew it was going to be our opportunity for our second goal because that's just how it goes. Our attacking prowess with our counterattack, it's just it's it's lethal. Yeah, absolutely. And now so let's talk about that second goal. 82nd minute from Rakitic. And again, Suarez was on the play. And Oddly, for Suarez, he kept his feet when he very easily could have gone down. You know, normally Suarez would have gone down in a situation like that. But he kept his balance, stayed on his feet. He put it across to Rakitic, rushing into who was rushing into open space, dead in front of goal. It was fantastic. Yeah, and and I was telling my friend, I said, if, if Suarez stays on his feet, we have this goal. Because I could see we had such an advantage. We had 
Rakitic in the middle. We also, I think we had Coutinho on the right. So we had a three on two essentially. And Suarez kept his feet. He made a great read. Rakitic clinical with the finish. Game set gear mode. So Barcelona. Uh, Who's Who's Guillermo? Okay, so so back in the day, (laughs) back in the day, uh, my roommates uh, was a well, one of my roommates was a huge Detroit Lions fan, actually Detroit Tigers fan, baseball team, and they had this uh, this closer uh, Guillermo, Willie Guillermo, and when he would come into the to the to the game, he would essentially save the the game. The other team had no chance, and so they would always say game set Guillermo. So in this instant, in this instance, Rakitic. With this goal, two away goals, we had we were advancing to the Copa del Rey final. So game set, Guillermo. I get it now. Now also a nice uh, happening, nice bit of news in this match. Eighty third minute, Yeri Mina made his debut for Barcelona, coming on for PK, uh, who again obviously had aggravated that knee and uh, had to come out. And of course, then you know they rested him for the Hitafe match. But we saw Yeri Mina for the first time, and I love it when a new player, a new signing plays for Barcelona and immediately he reminds you of existing Barcelona players, other Barcelona players. Like he reminds me because of his height and the way he moves and his ability to read the play and break a play up. He already is reminding me of PK or Umtiti. Yeah, I would agree. He kind of reminds me of PK, just like his body style and the way he just runs with the ball, makes those passes. Again, I just think the way Val Green has utilized the bench, his substitution his adjustments. It's amazing what a difference a really great manager is with a really talented team and a team that can adapt to his tactics, that respect him, that listen to him. Again, at halftime, he makes the substitution. He gives Mina a debut where it's really no pressure, right? I mean, we're already winning 2 nothing. He gives Mina the opportunity to come in, get his feet wet in the Barcelona team. And again, we had to use him in Hitafe, but he feels more comfortable because he already has these minutes where it was not uh, a crucial moment for him. Yeah, but also defensively, you know, uh, Sillison had another really good game. And it's kind of crazy, you know, how he's the number one keeper for his country, but he's very, very happy being number two at Barcelona. And I can see why, because I think playing with and working with Ter Stegen is actually a great way to sort of improve. But anyway, there was this fantastic save he made in the 74th minute. Really pretty astonishing reflex save. Yeah, it was a really nice play. It was uh, There was a cross, then there was a header inside the box, and it was uh, like a half volley. And Sillison just kind of stuck his hand out there as a reflex, and he made the save. And, I, th- you know, that was a really interesting moment because – Valencia was starting to come close. And I think if they would have scored in that moment, it could have been a little bit touch and go for Barcelona. But since he made that save, it kind of, it kind of negated all the feelings of a comeback for Valencia at that moment. You could just feel, you know, with the crowd and everything, the energy just left the building with that save because I feel like that was their moment. And since they weren't able to capitalize on that moment, Barcelona were able to to suffocate essentially Valencia out through the rest of the match. Yeah, you take the wind out of their sails with a save like that because if you're a fan or maybe if you're even a, a player, you know, you're just sitting there thinking like, how if we can't score that, how can we score? How is that going to happen? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, you're you know when you're trying to make a comeback, you're just looking for that lucky break, that lucky bounce. And in this moment, it went for Barca where Silicon made a great save. And again, our depth. With Sillison being an outstanding second, you know, second goalkeeper for us is a huge advantage. He's he's really good, and the way our defense 
alignment and position and focus. I mean, really, we could put any, we could have put Pinto back there, and I think he still would have had a shutout. But Sillison has been crucial in this Copa del Rey run, and again, another shutout. And I think if I if I saw correctly, in total with Sillison Terstegen, I think we I think we have fifteen total clean sheets this year, which is remarkable. Yeah, it's really remarkable. All right, now let's talk about men of the match. Who was your man of the match other than Messi? So my man of the match was Coutinho. I think his immediate substitution and involvement in the game just gave Barcelona the extra teeth that they needed in the attack. Um, You know, I heard everyone, you know, like I said, talking that Coutinho cannot play on the right side. And I think he's shown his adaptability because he had a really good match, especially playing quote unquote out of position. And I think going forward, this is just going to give Coutinho more flexibility where he can be on the field with Iniesta, which just makes our possession and our attacking even more potent. So what did you think of Coutinho's performance in this match? I thought he was fantastic. And I I do sort of get what some people are saying about having him play on the right. I think that it's not necessarily – well, it's not where he played mostly at Liverpool, right? He was more on the left side. And we do know that – when he comes in from the left to the right and he's on his right foot to take take those shots from outside the box that's where he's he is really threatening in those moments but i don't think that's the only place that he's effective i thought he looked great on the right side it's just um i i think it's an interesting or a great project to develop him to be able to move laterally and be effective on all in all parts of the width of the field. I mean, if you're if you're Chelsea, for example, and you're getting ready, you're already doing the scouting, you're already putting the videos together for the head coach there. In the past week, Barcelona has used Coutinho on the left side as a left mid, a right mid, and an attacking left wing on the 4-3-3. So it gives the other teams that have to scout, advanced scout us, so many things that they have to look at. And of course... You know, maybe Coutinho doesn't play, obviously he's not going to play in the Champions League, but I'm just saying going forward, it just, it just shows how flexible, how adaptive, how many different lineups we can come up with that our opponents really have to scout for now. You know, in the past with Luis Enrique, for example, as the previous manager, you always knew it was going to be 4 3 3 no matter what. And to me, I think that was ultimately what hindered us because we weren't able to adapt necessarily for those huge matches. So I'm really, really excited for this next Champions League run coming up. I love Champions League. And I just want to, sh- I just want to see how Val Green uses our team, especially how he's been able to maneuver our team, this whole La Liga and Copa del Rey. I just think we have, you know, we haven't seen the best yet of Val Green. Oh man, imagine that. Because we've already had an undefeated season in La Liga, only one loss overall. And I mean, just way, way exceeded anyone's expectations. I mean, I think he's just been, you know, pining for this moment, right? You know, being the manager of Athletic Bilbao, you know, understanding what tactics at a, you know, mid-tier team is. And now that he's at the helm of a super talented team. And the other thing is, you know, the, the players that we have at Barca usually, they're pretty good at chemistry and understanding and 
being with the manager's side. You know, they really don't usually they get along with their manager. And so I think that's a really beneficial as opposed to, for example, Real Madrid, where a lot of times their managers and their star players get into fisticuffs. So, uh, but anyway, I was really impressed with. It's a, sorry. When you, when you said that they were really good with chemistry, I immediately imagined them all like in a lab with coats and they in were the chemistry sets. Yeah. yeah, yeah doing course, doing some chemistry stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so for me, and everything. yeah. Yeah. Don't forget your goggles. Yeah. Safety um, first. Yeah. <laughs> but um no overall I was just I was just happy to see Coutinho and, and again he's just becoming more of an important player for us and you could just see the talent he has. So uh Brian who was your man of the match other than Messi? It had to be Suarez for me, you know, because on both of the goals he was so instrumental and not just instrumental but he really, you know, brought something special to both of those plays. He was the assist man in this match, looked really great. And he was only offside twice, once per half, weighed against his contributions to goals. I will always take two offsides and two assists. Yeah, I think that's a good, good call. I mean, he definitely had, he was my man of the match. But since we like to highlight some other players, uh, I think Suarez was a definitely good choice. I think he had a great match. His assists in this match were great, especially in that second goal, how he was able to keep his feet. That's a really hard thing than that play because a lot of players would have just gone down and he would have gotten the call and that player would have gotten a yellow card. But to get the goal in that moment was the game set Guillermo moment. It's a lot of Suarez, a lot of Luis Suarez's would have gone down in that moment. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but so next up, we have the final. And what can we say about the final that we haven't already said? I mean, if we talk about the actual matchup between these two teams you know the match itself Sevilla they aren't doing so hot in the league they got off to a decent start but they've dropped some points they've dropped a couple of positions now that they're in the cup final I figure they're not going to take it lightly at all they're going to try to take it seriously of course if scheduling is getting in the way with Champions League you know you have to set priorities and make lineups accordingly but you know they do have some strong attacking threats if they do get up for it like I imagine they will I think we could have an interesting final but they don't have a great defensive record at least not in the league so I do think that we could definitely pull out a win from this final so like you said that they're not doing too hot in La Liga but they are playing against Man U and the Champions League I really hope they beat Man U because I can't stand Mourinho and I think he's super overrated so I will be cheering for Sevilla to you know, hopefully eliminate Man U. As we talked about before with the dates and these champion leagues and potential Europa League matches around there, I hope the Spanish FA make a good decision and just select the Wanda for the for the Copa del Rey final. We're looking forward to that match and I'm hoping for, for a win. And I feel like we've already won La Liga. Of course, there are a lot of matches to play, but we're already... I don't want to jinx anything, but we're already looking at the, uh, you know, the trophy case, making some room in the trophy case for uh, what we think is going to happen by the time the season's over. Now, we're going to talk about La Liga in just a second, but uh, we haven't mentioned this yet, and we really need to mention it. If you have not already signed up for our Barca Talk fan tour in April, you should go do that while you're listening to this. Go to barcetalk.net, click on the link for the tour. It's on the front page. And um, that'll take you to the XL Sports website. That's the sports tour company who's put this package together for us. Enter the password BT18, as in Barca Talk 2018, BT18. Now, if you uh, you don't know about this already, you haven't been listening the last couple of weeks, 
here's the package. You go to Barcelona, you have to get there on your own. And then after that, everything is taken care of as part of the package. A four-star hotel, Camp New experience. You watch the Valencia match with Gabriel and all the other Barca Talk listeners who got the package. You get to go to a live Barca Talk show hosted by Gabriel. I will not be there. I have commitments that keep me here in Buffalo. But, um, you know, sorry. You will also have plenty of your own free time to explore Barcelona. So the question we ask every week now, we uh, last week talked about the Gothic neighborhood, but uh, here's the but here's the same question again. What else is there to do in Barcelona besides watch a football match? What's a good uh, neighborhood to visit? Gabriel? So last time we highlighted the Gothic neighborhood, how you and I both like the architecture of those neighborhoods, of that neighborhood. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the Gracia neighborhood. It's a little bit art neighborhood. It's really cool. It's a little bit north of the center. And it's really cool because there's really cool restaurants. And I've been there often. In the summertime, they have this really amazing street festival that they do. They close the whole, basically that whole barrio for about a week and a half. And they just have concerts and festivals all week long. But it's a really cool art. It's a little bit hipster, but in a good way. And really good coffee shops. I used to find a lot of good coffee shops to go work there when I was living in Barcelona in the summer. But it there's a really lot of good restaurants, sandwich shops. And it's a really enjoyable place. You just have to go. It's uphill a little bit. But it, once you get there, it's a really nice neighborhood to check out and, and spend the afternoon there yeah you know i'm just i'm i'm googling places to go in gracia right now there's one place oh i love this there's one place called cafe godot because you know i'm a big samuel beckett fan did you ever read any samuel beckett in high school like i did i did not no we had very different upbringings <laughs> <laughs> you didn't read absurdist theater plays in high school i didn't i did not uh, i right. did not <laughs> <laughs> okay buddy <laughs> But yeah, some spot on Carrera de San Domenic, Cafe Godot. It looks really cool in the Gracia neighborhood. So you could go there. Just come with us. Go to BarcaTalk.net, enter the password BT18 once you click on that link to the XL Sports website. All right, let's talk about La Liga. So just a quick recap of the other teams. Real Madrid beat Sociedad 5-2. to two. They're at 42 points now, ascending in the table in third place. They're back, baby. That's what the Madrid news the Madrid news was saying today. <laughs> Ronaldo CR7 with the hat trick. Oh my gosh. Everything is is back to normal on Real Madrid. As the news, the uh what was I watching? The Cuatro Deportes show today. They were just, oh my God. I was, <sighs> this team. I'm again, like we've talked about, I'm really scared that they're gonna be PSG. I think they are going to be hyper-focused for this Champions League match. The lineup that they brought out this Saturday was super scary. They had Asensio and Lucas Valdez on the wings with Benzema and Ronaldo atop. That could be a lot of trouble for PSG. That, to me, is a super scary lineup. Again, I'm not worried about them in La Liga. I will be the biggest PSG fan. But again, you know, Ronaldo had these tap-in goals. And of course, everyone just thinks he's the greatest here in Madrid and whatnot. But uh, whatever. On to the next. What was the other match that we're highlighting? Well, real quick, I mean, about Real Madrid. You know, obviously, they're 17 points behind Barcelona. They do have a game in hand. So in theory, they are maybe only 14 points behind Barcelona. But that is a huge gap to make up. So obviously, they've lost La Liga. 
they're already out of Copa del Rey. All they have left as far as trophies that they could win is the Champions League. So you know that they're going to come at PSG with everything they've got. Yeah, it's funny because in the post game of the Barcelona Hitafe game, they were doing some highlights of La Liga. And as soon as Real Madrid beat Sociedad, the comment, the announcer, the public address announcer went on to saying that, you know, ladies and gentlemen, get ready for Wednesday's super match against PSG as we go for the 13th Champions League title. They started playing the Champions League theme. So obviously that just tells you how geared up they are for this this mega match. This is going to be amazing because this is what I love Champions League. When you get these mega teams clashing, you have these superstars. It's Neymar against Ronaldo. It's just all these different headlines. But, you know, we're going to see, like I said, I'm going to be the big PSG fan for that night. And I really hope PSG can get an away goal. We will see. Okay. Now, otherwise in La Liga, Atletico beat Malaga one nothing. So they're at 52 points. Did you see this? this I saw the highlights and it was a really nice goal from Griezmann. He had a nice little chip. As you know, I love chip goals. Uh, really nice chip goal from Atletico. And Atletico, you know, they're still they're still in the hunt. You know, they're still right behind us with about nine points. Now, eight points now after today's match with Hitafe, right? So they're right there. Right. But again, I have confidence going forward with our defense and our ability to score. Atletico always wins these one nothing matches, but they'll, they'll lose against, uh, for example, they could lose against Hitafe at Hitafe one nothing. you know? Um I mean, Simeone always has him playing really hard. Uh, did you see last week when uh, Godin got his teeth knocked out? No. Oh, yeah. It was wicked. In, in the match last week, Atletico and Valencia, I think it was, um, Godin was going up for a header and the goalkeeper from Valencia punched. And in slow motion, you can see the teeth flying in the air. He lost three teeth. It was insane. Oh, no. Yeah. So Godin's out for like three weeks, but it was crazy. Yeah. But um, again, Atletico, you always know they are the 4 4 2, strong defense, counterattacking. And with Diego Costa and Griezmann, they're going to still be in the hunt. But I just think the way Val Green has us playing, I don't, I think we should be okay, you know, going forward with La Liga. Yeah. I know. I totally agree. And I think uh, that Atletico are only seven points behind us now because we, with that draw, we stayed at 59. And then also, uh, we're recording this prior to the Valencia match, so we don't know how that turned out. Hopefully, eh, who cares? They're, <laughs> they're in third. There are a lot of points behind. Uh, you know, I hope they have a good game and no one gets their teeth knocked out. But let's talk about Hitafe. So this was on Sunday. Uh, we're recording this pretty much right after the game ended. It was a scoreless draw. And as scoreless draws go, how would you rate this as a scoreless draw? Because, you know, some are fun to watch, contentious. They just don't have goals. Others are uh, awful totals like snooze fest or a slug fest, any kind of fest. How would you rate this as a scoreless draw? Like compared to other scoreless draws? Yeah. Um, I, I like to say, you know, I'm going to put a new scale. Is it a, a game where I'm going to watch YouTube videos? Yes or no. You know, that's the kind of scale. <laughs> and I was in the last 20 minutes, I was going to, start watching YouTube videos just because again, we've talked about now I watched the whole match, but just as I've mentioned before, we love to want to score these amazing, you know, Monet type goals. That's going to be <laughs> like, that's going to be 10 passes in a row for this amazing through ball. Uh, again, I don't know if it was the four o'clock start time. I, I'm telling you it's a thing. 
because we always play at night and these four o'clock we, we, we looked in the beginning, we looked a little lazy, especially Jordi Alba's passing, his crossing looked a little lazy. Um, but again, if we were, we're, let's start with the starting lineup. I was happy to see Yuri Mina getting his debut and interesting to see Digne at center back. What did you think when you saw that? Well, okay. So the lineup overall, I took, I took one look at it and as I'm going down the line, Vertically, I'm like, okay, yeah, Ter Stegen, Sergi, Yerimina, that all makes sense. I knew about the injuries already. So Dina, it you know, it made me it made me go sort of like, well, you know, what are you gonna do? Put Sergi Roberto in there? I mean, he could probably do it, but I think I think he made the better choice. So I, I said, okay, I understand why Dina's there, but uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. At least I don't know. I think I, I think I felt a, a multitude of emotions in that moment. If I try to unpack it all, right? Because you got Yorimina, which is great. Uh, he's after the minutes that he played in the Copa del Rey match, I felt like he can hold his own, but he is still new to the team. He's not totally worked in. So I know that that could create some just miscommunications, problems, um, you know, small errors can happen, that sort of thing. I knew that was a possibility. Um, and then you com- combine him with Dina, who has been on the team longer. And he's played more with them, but just not in that position. So uh, I don't know. But they, but see, never mind that. Then I get to the the midfield and the attacking three. Busquets, Rakitic, Coutinho, Messi, Paco, Suarez. An actual 4-3-3 again, which I, I didn't realize I had been missing the 4-3-3 so much. But I had. I, I got, I think, visibly excited. <laughs> Yeah. I think I actually said to myself, oh, my damn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I was – when I saw a lineup, I thought it was an interesting move. But again, I think that having Yuri Minya, Ter Stegen, and Busquets around him, I thought we were going to be fine. And and obviously, obviously, Digne was probably playing center back all week as a practice, you know, so he was getting used to this positioning. But again, I was happy to see Paco up there. Um, I like when Paco and Suarez up there. I think, especially as I noted earlier about Messi not going to the right as often because Paco goes to the right. So I thought that was going to give us a plenty of opportunities today in this match. Unfortunately, Paco didn't play the whole match. I wish he would have. I wish Val Green would just let him. Obviously, having Dembele come in later, which is a nice luxury to have, you know, just a little bit of a boost. But overall, you know, the line, this is the type of match, you know, this is kind of the dog days of February, right? Like, we in La Liga, we're already ahead so much. Um, it's a four o'clock kickoff. We're playing against Hetafe, which is not, you know, a team that brings excitement to Kules. Uh, we don't really have a rivalry with them, even though they're a Madrid team. And Hetafe just, I mean, they played with six people in the back, essentially. Yeah, yeah. But then again, when they did get in behind that back line, they looked really threatening. There were definitely moments. There were, but they were few and far between. You know, we were, we would get to that third, you know, for the most part of the game. But when we needed a really good cross or that last great pass to open it up, we couldn't do it. And like I mentioned before, like Jordi Alba's passing in the center today was very lazy, it seemed. He was trying to make the same passes and Hitafe obviously read the scouting report and were in the specific places where they needed to be. I just think that overall like, – and Dembele too. Dembele's last passing, for example, just – not being on the same page with the other players. And, you know, I just think, you know, today's match was just kind of one of those, they weren't up for it. 
you know, Hitafe was. They they defended with six people in the back. And when they do that, as I mentioned in Twitter, you know, we need to sh- – in for example, at halftime, Valgrini needs to tell him, you know, if, if we continue to go side to side with nothing, we need to shoot from outside. We need to shoot the glass, you know, like in Die Hard, shoot the glass, right? Um, because that's that's essentially what's going to break up that six man front you know if we start shooting from outside just a couple shots two or three then all of a sudden they're gonna have to come up and when they come up we can go behind them and then that's when we can start to do our passing well coutinho was taking shots from outside he had uh two or three attempts that he took and they all looked really good uh, and they actually forced Guati to make saves. Yeah, and and that's the thing, right? That's what Coutinho is. It's a nice luxury to have him there because he's actually looking for his shot. But I also think that you know, since our last third attacking passing was so off today, even though we were in the box, we really didn't. We weren't really a threat. Uh, all match long. Well, let's talk about some of the opportunities. I was actually pretty happy to see this this one where there were a couple actually where Yeti Mina almost scored in the 22nd minute uh, on a free kick. It bounced off the wall and then Suarez put it back into the box and Mina swung right through it, but it was blocked. And I was just thinking, how cool would that have been had if Yeti Mina had scored in his first appearance? Not even Coutinho did that. Yeah, and and again, you saw his height difference all match long. For example, in the 10th minute I have here where he just absolutely crunched a player from Hitafe. He jumped higher than the guy in Hitafe, and he just won the header and basically crunched the guy. And you saw it all match long when the corner kicks. They were looking for Yuri Mina for that header. And on this one, he almost got that goal on the putback. But again, I think Yuri Mina had a, a good game overall for his debut, his official starting debut. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And there was another really good play that I want to highlight um, in the 31st minute where Sergio Roberto opened up this attack. And this is something that he specifically does really well, I think. And I love it when he does this. He was out wide around midfield like he often is, and he was getting played pretty tight. So behind those players who were, you know, pressuring him, there was this space and he worked a one two. I can't remember with who. But he worked this one, too, where he broke into the space. And suddenly, because they've been marking him so tightly, the attack is on. Now, in this case, they broke it up. And I'm not sure how many times that that play has actually worked out or created a goal. But whenever I see that, I just love it. I love that play that he will do. Like, not every fullback will do that. That's like one of his things. I mean, that's one of his specialties, right? When he is basically dive bombing that right side after he's beaten someone, all of a sudden he has so many options. He can make that early cross, he can pass it to Messi, or he can keep going all the way down. And it's a really dangerous play uh, for Barcelona going forward. He's, you know, again, he's a right back, but he's a midfielder. And when he has those opportunities, he's so comfortable on the ball that you know it's going to be a great opportunity for us to score a goal. And it almost, you know, when you see him charging down, you start to stand up because you know something good's going about, about to happen. I mean, that's the feeling I get, and I'm sure you do as well. And it's just, it's just, yeah. you know, it's a nice, nice luxury to have a right back and a left back, Alba and Sergio Roberto, who are quality defenders, but also, you know, they're basically wingers, extra wingers that we can put in the attack. And that's, uh, I mean, no other teams really have that. Yeah, actually, you know what? I just came up with a, a great game we should play with this game since it was a scoreless draw. Which was the best almost goal? <laughs> so was it the Yeti Mina attempt or, or here's another nomination, 
32nd minute, shot from Messi, really deadly ball in from Rakitic. Messi was well open in the box, but Damian Suarez just threw his foot at it just in time, knocked it away. Yeah, for me, it was uh, the Mina header in the second half, I think. I know we haven't got to the second half, but um, where he actually got a clear header and made the save from the Hetafe goalkeeper. I think that was the closest one. But again, you know, if if we were to watch the replay of this match, we would, you know, if we had a drinking game, essentially, you know, we had this drinking game and we watched how many times they went side to side in this match without putting a shot on goal, you know, in the first half, we'd be, you know, pretty drunk because that's all we did anyway. And I get it, you know, <laughs> we have such good possession and we're trying to impose our will. I understand all that, you know, that's the Barca style. And all, but at the same time, you know, as I was reading Twitter, people were freaking out in Twitter because we we got a scoreless draw. Again, we didn't give up any points. Uh, we got a point off of this match. We can't win every match. This is one of those duds. You know, you, we have nothing to look forward with Hitafe. So, you know, we just – I don't know. It's, I would have wished to see Coutinho play the whole match. And I would have liked to seen Paco play the whole match. And I, I think it's nice to see Dembele come in, but I would have just hold him, hold him out because I think Paco was really looking strong in this match, especially he doesn't get many starts. And I think he was really looking for that goal. But uh, for me, it's another clean sheet. I take that as a positive. Mina getting a good start. Digne could be our new Mascherano. He played really well today. So those are the positives I'm looking at at this Hitafe match. Yeah, and speaking again about Dinia, you know, when Sergio Roberto came up, of course, you know, this is the ongoing story with Sergio Roberto, right? Is that like he's a midfielder, but he keeps playing fullback and he keeps getting better at playing fullback. And I've seen interviews with him or, you know, promotional things that the club have put out with Sergi where he seems actually very, very OK with playing fullback. As long as he's playing, he's happy. And, you know, when you've got Jordi Alba on the left back position, if you're Luca Dina, if you can get any playing time at all, whether it's center back or left back, I figure you'll take it. And I again, I thought he actually did a good job and he made a good case for himself to be an option in that position. Yeah, again, I think it's it's kind of like a nice revelation when we found out that Rakitic could play the Busquets role, right? It's something we, on paper, we would have never thought to do. And just because of a circumstance, it had to happen and Rakitic actually performed really well. I think also because Digne didn't have to be kind of an attacking impromptu like Alba is, you know, going down that line. Digne had to be back on that center back line and just break up plays and make the play to Busquets. Those are, you know, quote unquote, easier tasks to do. I think it really showed that Digne can adapt to that position. And again, this is kind of, this could be a nice uh, circumstance that happened out of necessity for Digne's career. Yeah, absolutely. Now, okay, I think the other issue here, because it was scoreless, uh, something that you're going to want to bring up, and so I'll just bring it up for you, was how often Suarez in particular was offside. He wasn't the only Barcelona player who got caught offside, but he he got caught offside, what, four or five times in this Yeah, about four or five times. You know, again, I... I knew this match was going to be difficult. Okay. I, I, I can already tell four o'clock, like I said, four o'clock kickoff time, Hitafe at home, especially after the Copa del Rey semifinal match in Valencia, where they were really up for that match. You know, it's hard to get up every match. And so for me, yeah, Suarez had offside plays, especially on that play where it was a canceled goal where it could have been, you know, it was a little bit iffy. But again, uh, for me, yeah, he could have, 
he could have avoided, you know, two of those offsides. But at the same time, I just think everyone was off their game tonight. Everyone, you know, Messi didn't have, wasn't as sharp as he usually is. Um, Suarez, again, with the offsides, you know, are attacking. Like I said, we were able to go side to side, but we were never able to penetrate. And that's because Hitafe had basically, they were pl- I think they were playing a 4-2-3-1, something like this. So they had six people in back at all times. So that's going to make it always difficult for Barca to penetrate. You know, I just, we got the, we got a point and I, I don't know if there's anything. I mean, I, it was great to see Dembele. what do you think of Dembele's performance? I mean, I thought that he looks great and he's entertaining to watch. And I think that he had great moments. Uh, I think he still needs to kind of, you know, work his way in to the squad a little bit more. He just, and I, I'm not impatient about it. He just, I understand he hasn't had a lot of playing time yet. When, once he gets more time. He's gonna he's gonna light that place on fire. Yeah, and and I think that's true. I mean, he you could see the talent is there. I just think he also just needs to understand when to do a one on one move and when not to, right? Because I think today in today's match, he was trying to do too much where he lost the ball a bunch of times and he even slipped, or it was just a bad outcome that happened more often than not. So I think he just, you know, again, it's just getting his feet back again. It's his first game back from injury. I think it will come. He's he's a dynamic player. It just gives us, again, more flexibility as a second-half substitute that we can bring in someone or even starting in the 4-3-3 where it's just going to give us that flair, that one-on-one ability that we've been lacking in that right side since Messi's moved to the middle. All right, so did you have a man of the match at all? Uh, no, I even put on Twitter – my man of the match poll was Mina, uh, Messi, a ham sandwich, and the four o'clock kickoff time. <laughs> and the ham sandwich came in second place. So oh, that nice. should just tell you. Yeah, yeah. Behind I mean, the four o'clock kickoff time. <laughs> I mean, we, I, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, this, this game was kind of a dud. I knew it was going to be a dud. Hitafe brings nothing to the table. You know, they have no really star player, they're really defensive. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I had to pick someone, I would pick your guy that you picked, Mina. I think overall, it was great to have him officially debut. I think he has a lot of potential. There's a lot of good things you can see from him. He's fast. He's super physical. Um, I mean, I just think overall, I think if I had to, you know, you put a gun to my head, I would pick your boy Mina that you picked. What what were some of your favorite plays of Mina? Uh, Mina's performance today well I mean just like in a general sense I thought that it was it's really it's really something when a new player can start and hold down the position as well as he did today there was this one particular play it was in the you know near the end of the first half 40th minute or so where he was one-on-one and actually Angel Rodriguez was turning him inside out actually pretty badly but I was very impressed with how he he stayed with him and he forced Rodriguez's shot wide. I'm not sure if he got a deflection or if he just shut down the angle. But I loved how he stayed with Rodriguez, even though he was getting turned around this way and that. He stayed with it, and the shot went wide. And that kept that sheet clean, and we needed that. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And his recovery on that play was impressive. I think for me, going forward, that I could take from this match is – Again, how tall he is. So if a ball goes in his area, you know he's going to win it. And that's a really nice thing to have. So eventually you're going to see the pairing of him and Umtiti, two physical center backs that are not only physical in the air, physical, you know, for jostling for position, but also really, 
you know, above average with passing and their footwork. So I think that's really exciting. I, you know, there was a couple times where, you know, after he would win the first header against a Hitafe forward, they weren't even making an effort to go up because they just knew they had no ability to win the ball. And that's a really <laughs> powerful thing to have. You know, you have a center back out there that's just clearing everything. It's, it's, it's a nice, nice luxury to have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we, we again, we, we got the draw still on top of the table. I mean, it's going to take – it would take an awful lot for us to drop from the top of the table. I don't think that that's going to happen. But uh, in any case, I don't – again, like I said, I don't want to jinx anything. But next week in La Liga, action, Ibar <laughs> going up against the mighty Ibar in Municipal de Ipura in Ibar. So we're on the road. And we're playing Ibar, who last week had a really good performance beating Sevilla 5-1. I mean, I think this is going to be exciting. Um, if anyone's ever seen the stadium on TV, it's a it's a super, super small stadium. I think it holds maybe 15,000 people. So it's a really cool venue. And I think it almost feels kind of like a pro-American football team going to a high school American football stadium, you know, where, you know, you have this kind of access to FC Barcelona. But um, I think two things, I think not having a midweek match is going to help us really to not only, you know, fill our tanks up with some more energy, you know, I think we'll be lively and ready to go on that Sunday. And I think, you know, with the environment in Ibar, I think we'll be up for this match. It's not too far away from Barcelona. I think it's maybe a four-hour ride, I think. So it's not too far. And, um, you know, I think we should be able to get the points. I mean, Ibar is definitely a, a good home team. But uh, I think ultimately with the rest and if uh, Val Green puts out our uh, strong 11, we should be able to get points in this Ibar match. Yeah, I would generally agree with you. Ibar is in Basque country, isn't it? Yes, it's in Basque country. It's uh, it's a little bit – yeah, it's south of Bilbao. So, it, you know, again, the weather conditions will play a factor. It will be a little bit – it could be cold, rainy, windy, you know, a nice, nice weather to play football. Barza Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson, and the music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means this is a two-man show. Go ahead and be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit barzatalk.net and find the contact page or one of our social media channels. And if you want to support the show, click on the support tab at barzatalk.net to do that. Remember, to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.